to welcome Mary up to share with us this morning. Come on up. May I pray for you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for what you've put on Mary's heart to share with us this morning. Lord, we're open to hear from you, to receive from you. Lord, come and fill us. Speak through Mary this morning, Lord. We welcome you. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Hi. Hello. How are you? We see you. I see everybody. Hello. It's good to be here. Praise the Lord. We've, I got so excited when, when Joel and Catherine came to visit us in Slough in February. And they said, oh, would you come and speak? I, oh, yes, I'll come and speak. Yes, please, and thank you. Am I not holding it up high enough? Is that better? Okay, now can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. When I was uh, emailing back and forth with Rachel trying to decide what to speak about today, she said that you guys were doing a series on the gifts of the Spirit. I said, oh, that's really cool. I want to do wisdom, like I've got any wisdom. <laughs> but I want to start out this morning with something that a very popular philosopher spoke out in the very beginning of the 20th century. And he says this, I could while away the hours conferring with the flowers and consulting with the rain. My head I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. And with the thoughts that I'd be thinking, I could be another Lincoln if I only had a brain. Oh, I could tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thunk before. And then I'd sit and think some more. I would not just be a nothing with my head all full of stuffing and my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry. I would sing. Life would be a ding-a-dairy if I only had a brain. Now, how many of you recognize that? Everybody here knows that's from the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. Hallelujah. But, you know, people can have a lot of brains but have very little wisdom. You only have to look at politicians all over the world these days to see the truth of that, right? All right. So today I want to take us through some facts from Scripture about wisdom. It's gift, it's history, and it's use. But I want to get some fundamental things straightened out first. I want to state right from the beginning that the gift of wisdom is not something that you get zapped with out of a clear blue sky. It doesn't come with do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do otherworldly manifestations with flashing lights and swirly smoke. It also does not come as an end in itself. Wisdom always comes with a so that. So that we can live our lives according to God's will and anointing and understanding how that's played out in relationship both with God and with our brothers and sisters. Okay, wisdom always comes with a so that. In Psalm 111, verse 10 from the NIV, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, and his praise endures forever. Now, this is the way that it reads in the Passion Translation. Where can wisdom be found? It's born 
in the fear of God. Everyone who follows his ways will never lack his living understanding and the adoration of God will abide throughout eternity. Okay, so there's two so that's here. So that his praise will endure forever and so that the adoration of God will abide throughout eternity. That's why wisdom comes. Okay, you got that? Okay, then we'll move on. <laughs> I want to make sure you got that first. All right. So there, I'm going to give you some facts now. There are 257 verses in the King James Version on being wise. And there's 222 verses on wisdom. That's nearly 500 verses in the Bible dealing with the idea of being wise and having wisdom. And if you took one verse a day to study on, to contemplate on, to read the before and the after, it would take you almost two years to get through them all. How much do you really want wisdom? Are you willing to spend two years searching after it, chasing after it, really going off for it? Now, the idea of being wise is first mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And you all know the story. It's speaking of Eve, seeing that the fruit of the tree of, that God had forbidden would make her wise. Now, that's not a gift. That's not the thing that God wanted to give her. This was a stolen usurpation of something that God wanted to give to people through relationship. It was a temptation sent by God's enemy to get people to try by their own efforts to possess the very thing that he wanted, and that was access to God's wisdom. Now, he could never get that on his own. He was too proud to admit that he had no wisdom. Oh, yeah, he had guile and manipulation and lies and whispers, but he had no godly wisdom, no access to the secrets of the universe. He wanted this wisdom, but he did not want any of the so-that's. And that is part and parcel of the whole package. He just wanted to be wise in his own eyes. And that comes from a proud and haughty spirit. Now I'm going to jump forward just a little bit. In the book of Proverbs, where wisdom is mentioned and it's rampant throughout all of the teachings, we can see a very interesting note here. In almost all 55 verses where wisdom is mentioned, it's feminine in gender. She will give you this, that, or the other thing. When you seek wisdom, she will do this. She will do that. She will do the other thing. And I thought that was very interesting. Why do, why do you think that is? I think it's the Holy Spirit's way of redeeming the female psyche. Remember that Satan lied to Eve using the very thing that God himself wanted to give us as a gift to make her sin against him. She was lied to and deceived. But here in Proverbs, we see that when God's wisdom is sought after, it comes to us addressed as she. I thought that was just absolutely amazing when I saw all that. And why do you think it's the first gift of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the list of gifts? For this reason, it was the root cause of the first sin to make people wise. That yearning to be wise is like our own kids. 
they see mom and dad doing something, and because they're made in their image, they want to do it too. Like the little girl who just wandered up here because daddy was up here. She wanted to follow daddy. She wanted to be just like daddy. And that's how Adam and Eve were. They were made in the image of God, and they wanted to be wise like him. Satan understood that longing and used it against them. Eve first with a counterfeit wisdom gift. Now here in Proverbs, we see the father redeeming that lapse in Eve's longing for wisdom by actually describing his wisdom in female terms. For many thousands of generations, people have thought of Eve as being the mother of all sin. Don't do that. Don't do that. This episode of causing Eve to sin was the original gaslighting situation on the earth. You know what gaslighting is? That's a modern term that we use, but that's exactly what Satan was doing with Eve. He was gaslighting her. We don't blame gaslighting victims today. We should not blame Eve either. Amen? And here in the, these verses in Proverbs, it foreshadows the redemption of womanhood that Jesus bought for us at Calvary. God didn't just redeem Adam. He also redeemed Eve. Amen? And that's the end of my feminist agenda. <laughs> okay, praise God. So, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who does what? Gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it will be given to him. Do you think Satan would ask God for that wisdom? Nope. For he would have to admit that he didn't know something. And his pride would never allow that. So he tried, first of all, to prevent mankind from having access to that godly wisdom. And secondly, driving a wedge between God and his children because of that theft and to break the chain of the so that's. Remember I said that wisdom always has a so that? The so that is so that God gets the glory. Satan wanted to set up his own so that so that he would get the glory and it would stop there. When we give God the glory, he gives us blessing back. When, when Satan gets the glory in his so that episode, it stops there. No blessing comes. It's always a take, take, take with the enemy. Right? Okay. Now here in, in this scripture in James, we see the idea that sometimes there really is something lacking or missing in our service. Something that we have missed. Something that we need. Something that will make the whole thing work. While the enemy would like nothing better than to prevent us from accessing that gift, James here tells us, like several other writers do, that, when we, that we can come right alongside of God, right up in his face, right up in his face, and boldly ask for that wisdom. Can you, can, can you see that? We can get right up in God's face and we say, Daddy, I don't understand this. Show me. Make me understand. One of my favorite things to say is, the more I learn, the more I know, I don't know much. When we get up in God's face and ask him for that wisdom, he is so delighted to give it to us. He will get it for us. 
And even better, he won't turn us down and he won't say, well, you numpty, I told you that yesterday. He doesn't do that. He gives us what we need when we need it. Amen? So that's the first thing to get settled in our minds and spirits. God is not withholding something magical from us and it does not take something magical to get it. Okay? Now, there's a couple of different aspects or faces of godly wisdom, different ways of seeing and accessing that wisdom. There's practical wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom, what I like to call the logos and the rhema parts of wisdom, okay? Where the actual word comes from is from the Greek, and the word is sophos, where we get the English term of sophistication. When people come at wisdom from a humanistic approach, they get all bound up in sophistication, twisting things around, being filled with the pride that, obtain, that comes with obtaining wisdom through the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Have you ever had to sit next to somebody and listen to them talk when they think of themselves as being sophisticated? How smarmy they come across, how condescending, and their noses are all up in the air, and if they were walking down the street, they'd drown in the rainstorm. Kind of makes you all feel squirrely, doesn't it? That's because their so-called wisdom is earthbound and derived from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a counterfeit wisdom. Now, don't get me wrong here. There's nothing inherently wicked about having a good education. But when seeking wisdom, that education may not always give you the best, most godly answers. How many of you can see that in action in the education systems today? They give indoctrination. They don't give wisdom. They tell you what to think, not how to think. Amen? Okay. So let's look at these two other aspects of wisdom. Now, <laughs> this, this one struck me as really funny, too, when the Lord showed me this. I'm going, okay. Um, we New Testament Christians, born-again believers, okay, we often think of wisdom as only one of the gifts of the Spirit that was given after Jesus died, was resurrected and ascended to heaven when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. But the first mention of the word wisdom in the Bible is in Exodus, where God is explaining to Moses how the tabernacle of his habitation should be made. In Exodus, God tells Moses which of the people had the wisdom to make the wall hangings, which had the wisdom to do the gold work, which had the wisdom to set out the foundations of the camp, which had the wisdom to make the garments of consecration for Aaron and the other priests. Those are all practical applications for the setting up of his dwelling place. So, we hear, so here we see the first outpourings of the spiritual gift of wisdom for use in the building of his temple or tabernacle. Now, do you all know the concept of first mention? That's the idea that when a topic is first mentioned in Scripture, it can be thought of as an example of how it should be viewed throughout the Bible. And this is one of those topics. I've often said that the Old Testament is a physical representation of New Testament spiritual truth. 
If God gave wisdom to people to be able to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, how much more is he willing to give us wisdom in building our tabernacle for his habitation in the wilderness of this life? Both personal and corporate. Not only spiritual, but physical as well. I'm going to give you some examples as I'm speaking this morning. I know we're not supposed to give a whole bunch of examples, but in Revelations it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what Jesus does for me is a prophecy over your life, and he can do it for you too. Amen? Okay, I'm going to go on now. (laughs) When I first moved to England in the year 2000, I rented a terraced house, and I lived there for nearly 22 years when the house was going to be sold. 22 years. Can you imagine that? 22 years in the same place. I'd never lived any more than 18 months in any place in all my life until I got here. 22 years in the same house. Can you imagine the pack rat state of my place? There was hundreds of pieces of artwork. Gary saw them. Accumulated books and CDs and DVDs and clothes and shoes and all kinds of other stuff. And I needed some wisdom in knowing how to start downsizing or ridding out of non-essential stuff in preparing to move, because I had to move. There was no doubt I had to move. So I spent over three months crying out to God every day for wisdom on how, what, when, and where. And I do mean crying out, because I had no idea of what I was doing. I didn't know if I was supposed to continue to look for a place here in the UK to live, or if I was supposed to move back to the States, sell everything off and move back to the States. I just didn't know. Then one day, I saw something on Facebook that really blessed me. It was a person who needed some direction, and he asked God for a sign. He needed some clarification on what he was supposed to do next. He asked for a dime, a 10-cent coin. And God sent him one, confirming the choice that he had made. And I thought, how fantastic is that? I want my own dime. I want my own dime, Lord. I want my dime. I want to know that you're with me in this move. I want to know if I'm supposed to stay or if I'm supposed to go. If I'm supposed to stay here, Lord, you send me a dime. Now, y'all don't have dimes over here. (laughs) You got 10 pence coins, but you don't have proper Roosevelt U.S. dimes. Right? So I'm thinking, okay, that's going to be a real test for you, Lord. Send me my own dime. Two days later, I was sweeping the kitchen floor, and I saw something shiny in the dust. And at first, it thought it was one of those aluminum tops off of a COVID test tube. You know how you tore those things off to dip the thing in? And I thought that's what that was. Well, as I got to looking, it was a dime. A proper Roosevelt 10-cent coin from the USA. I got so excited, I jumped up and down and I laughed and I hooped and I hollered because I knew then that God answers our prayers, even the silly ones, even the ones that don't make any sense to most people. He, he knows our hearts. He knows what we need. He knows exactly the thing to give us that will confirm his presence with us. Now, that episode helped me with the rest of the clearing out. I wound up trashing over 200 pieces of art, 
five or six bankers' boxes full of books, CDs, and DVDs, six or seven bin bags full of clothes that had just been hanging in the closets for years. But through it all, overwhelming as it was at the time, and it was overwhelming, and the guys can confirm that, I had more than one meltdown over that mess. God was always right there giving me the wisdom to handle everything necessary. So that is practical wisdom in application, having the smarts to be able to deal with real-life situations. Amen? So who wants a dime? <laughs> ask for the Lord, ask the Lord for what you want, and you'll get it. I recently taught on pastoring your gift or shepherding your gifts, and I used this scripture in Romans 12:2, and it says, "And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." And that takes godly wisdom for everyday life in everything that we do now. And that's one way that the gift of wisdom works. And that's what I call the Logos word of wisdom. Logical thinking, tangible, workable, patterned, planning, all the things that come together, excuse me, to produce innovative technologies and products, etc. We can see that in action throughout history and especially beginning at the time of the Reformation. Now, let me explain that. At the time of the Reformation is when the printing press came into its own, and the Bibles were being printed in people's own languages, and they were able to read scriptures for themselves. They weren't being told it by some priest up in the front of the church. Okay? When they got hold of Bibles and they were able to read for themselves about God's wisdom is when he started pouring out his wisdom on people. Amen? It was then prevalent again as part of the Industrial Revolution and again at the beginning of the 20th century. All the medical, mechanical, aeronautical innovations that have been advanced since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the Azusa Street Revival time. Can you, just the last hundred years, wisdom has just absolutely exploded. Now, I'm not saying that every person involved in any of those professions were all spirit-filled, but remember Joel 2.28 when it says this, and it shall come to pass afterward. Now, I've got to stop there. After what? In, in, the, in Joel, the people had already been rebellious against God. He calls them back to him. He calls them for a fast. And he says, then after you've done this, after you've turned your hearts back to me, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It doesn't say on the Jewish people. It doesn't say on Israel. It doesn't say on his children. But upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Remember Jesus said, when the rains of the Holy Spirit comes, it will rain on the just and the unjust alike. And God will sort them out later. When wisdom falls, it falls where it falls. Amen? 
when awakenings happen, when revivals happen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings wisdom with him. That's the Logos part of it, benefiting everybody. Logical thinking, the, the ability to understand mechanical, numerical, scientific analysis, physical, earthbound situations, and aerodynamics and geology and astrophysics and all of that other stuff. But that's only a portion of wisdom. There is the rhema portion of wisdom where God will give someone an answer to a very sticky spiritual situation. A word from God's own heart to enable people to live under the anointing. Now, what's the anointing for? Do you remember? Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven, uh, for the spirit of heaviness, so that, here we come to so that, so that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he might be glorified. That's the purpose of wisdom. The purpose of wisdom is to make the anointing work so that people are changed and blessed and so that God gets the glory. Amen? All right, praise the Lord. This is the so that part of wisdom. Then when we come up against something that is out of peace and unsettling to our born-again spirit, we try to seek wisdom for that situation from Scripture. And this is where the word of wisdom comes into action. We will often find just the perfect word in our Bibles that fits that situation and brings us to a peaceful resolution. One that shows us how to react or not react in a specific situation. And re re relating to the thing that has been troubling us. We will either find that, hope, that helpful word as we read and study or sometimes that will come from a trusted friend or a teacher or even through something that we see on TV or social media like that dime. That rhema word is something that will speak specifically to you in that situation. It may be a word of wisdom that you've heard or read a thousand times, but it's never had the impact that it does in this situation. I had been praying for a, a very dear friend of mine and the Lord told me to give her the verses out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel, and marrow to your bones. I didn't know at the time that her health issue was centered around her navel. But that set of verses blessed her so much that she received healing for it. That's how a rhema word works. Now, we often get real, <laughs> we get 
surprised explanations of God's word as we seek his wisdom. For example, we've all heard the word Abba, meaning our father. And it sounds like Jesus talking, doesn't it? When, when you hear somebody say Abba, that, that sounds like something out of the Old Testament, Father, that Jesus might say. And it has significant spiritual impact for us. And we feel super spiritual when we use it, don't we? And now, come on, fess up, don't we? All right. But let me tell you how God showed me a perfect example of spiritual wisdom concerning that word. I was waiting at Heathrow Airport for a friend to come in from the U.S. And as I was waiting at the gate, I saw this young family, a mother and a father and their little boy. They were Middle Eastern looking, you know, so I wasn't surprised. When this little kid, the little boy, kept winding his way in and through and around his dad's legs, just kept winding around, you know, figure eight through dad's legs next to mommy and next to daddy. Then he started pulling on daddy's pant leg, crying, Abba, Abba! And the daddy would pick him up. He loved on him for a few minutes and then put him back down again. And that happened repeatedly over the course of about 20 or 30 minutes. And each time the child called Abba, the dad would pick him up, hold him for a bit, then put him back down. That so impressed me because that's exactly how we are with our Father God. We go messing about, playing at life, But every so often, we need to be back in Daddy's arms. And we cry, Abba. We cry, Father. And he picks us up, and he holds us till our spirits are settled again. And then he puts us back down on the ground, refreshed and loved and feeling safe once again. And Father God behaves with us like this throughout our formative years as his children. But then we grow up. The other half of this scene came when the next plane load of people arrived and started coming through the, through the arrivals hall. There was an old man and his wife. They were loaded down with a mountain full of luggage. And this is who the young father and, and family had been waiting for. As the old man walked towards the sun, the son got down on his knees saying, Abba. And he kissed his father's feet. That was a rhema moment for me. Seeing the full impact of that name, Abba. The respect that the son was giving his elderly father. The humble manner in which he greeted his father. And the reverence associated with the sound of that name. That scene totally exploded my understanding of that term. And it was a true rhema experience for me. And it moved me to tears. And it does every time I recall it. Yeah, I know, I'm an old softy. The guys all laugh at me when I get to crying or when I get to laughing. Anyway, (laughs) praise God. I started out by quoting the words of the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, if I only had a brain. Now I want to quote from the real philosopher, Jesus, this is in John chapter 3, verse 3, and it says, Jesus answered Nicodemus, and he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? 
Now I want to give that to you in a Mary Porter paraphrase. Truthfully, I'm telling you now, listen. Except a man be born again, he cannot see, perceive, understand, witness, activate, promote, live in, or further the kingdom of God. We can have all the brains in the world, but until we get the wisdom that comes as part of the package of our salvation, the gift from the Holy Spirit that Jesus also talks about in John 16 when he says this, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that he will speak, and he will show you things to come. And the truth is that the Spirit is the Spirit of. The truth is until we get that gift, the gift of our salvation, we will only ever have partial understanding. As it says in Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. <laughs> now, there's one, ever, one other aspect of this gift that needs to be considered. Sometimes we'll be given a word of knowledge, but not necessarily know how to use it. This is where the gift of wisdom and the gift of discernment go hand in hand. We may know something through these gifts, but not necessarily understand either the implication or the way that it needs to be handled or expressed or delivered. And even sometimes we don't even know who or what it is that's being shown to us. We may discern something in the Spirit, but we need the gift of wisdom to know how to handle it. Now, as this gift becomes operational in your life, be diligent to continue asking God for the additional wisdom on how and where and when to activate it. For instance, we've all been given the gift of knowledge to know that a tomato is a fruit, but we need the gift of wisdom to not use it in a fruit salad. Amen? Okay, so this is, this is how this works. Ask God for, okay, what is this supposed to mean? Who is this supposed to be for? How am I supposed to deliver this? Let's also be very careful of mistaking the gift of suspicion for the gift of discernment or wisdom or knowledge. Be very careful about that. As Paul states in his letter to the Corinthians, earnestly seek all the gifts. And he says that, for they all work hand in hand, and therefore each one stays in balance with God's heart. One translation of the word wisdom is philosophia, meaning the love of wisdom, and from which we get the word philosophy. But let's not get all wrapped up in human philosophy. The wisdom that comes from God is not subject to the minds of men. And it says in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, and easily to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. If you do receive a word of wisdom or knowledge, or you feel like you've got a, a thing of discernment, check it out against that verse. Remember that in order for a thing to be established at truth, it needs to have firm biblical testimony to confirm its validity. There's five or six different places in the scripture where it says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. 
So that's, that's rife all throughout the scriptures. Don't just take one verse or one word and just jump it all out of context. You check it out against this verse in James. Is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it full of mercy and good fruit? Are you being partial with it? Are you saying to somebody, oh, they're just a nasty old bum. You just need to kick them to the curb. Be careful about that. Do accept wisdom as one of the gifts that comes with our anointing. Yes, there are extraordinary times and examples of a one-time word of wisdom being given, but the gift of wisdom is an ongoing outpouring of both the logos and rhema aspects of the word of God, which is the foundation of all of our born-again experience. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness where only physical brains can operate, and we've been translated into the kingdom of light where the wisdom of God is the font of all knowledge. What the enemy tried to counterfeit in the very beginning is now freely given to us as a gift from God. Amen? All right. Now, as I close today, I want to ask you some questions. Do you have wisdom? No answers? Okay. Are you actively seeking that gift? Are you experiencing the wisdom that comes from God on a daily basis? What are you doing with the wisdom that God has already given to you? Are you living in the so that? The wisdom of God comes so that people will be blessed, so that he gets the glory. Are you like Solomon, who when asked what he wanted from God said, Wisdom? I want more wisdom, Lord. I want more. There, there's a Christmas greeting card that comes around about, just about every time, every year. And it shows the wise men on camels coming into Judea looking for the baby king. And the caption to that greeting card is, Wise men seek him still. Let us use our born-again spiritual gift of wisdom to seek the face of the Father for the edification of ourselves and the edification and blessing of the church as a whole. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Amen?